ears and our hearts to hear what I believe that the Spirit would have to say to us. I'm doing part three of the sermon series called Witchcraft in the Church. Part three. Witchcraft in the Church. Our text, main text that we're using is Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12. Reading out, I think, out of the NIV. And listen to the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Part three of witchcraft in the church. And if you hadn't had a chance to listen to the other two sermons, I pray that you would do that. Go to Facebook, go to our page, and you can listen to the other two sermons so that you can be caught up. I certainly can't uh, review everything this morning, so we have to move on. Um, Lord, add the blessing to the preaching of your word and open our ears and our hearts. And everyone shouted a great big. I've said this for the last few Sundays, but I want to say it again because I really want this to resonate in your spirit. There was a recent poll made with the Pew Research Data Institute. And they concluded that in America, most people are veering away from being religious, but they want to be spiritual. They don't want to be labeled as religious. They don't want to be connected to an organization. They do want to be labeled as spiritual. I find that very intriguing, and I find it very fascinating that we are living in a generation and a culture now that we are no longer fighting against atheism. That does exist, but most people believe there is a supernatural power. We as a church and in our culture, we are fighting against paganism, not atheism. People want to become spiritual. They want to dabble in or dabble in the paranormal or they want to dabble in the supernatural. Our culture and our church is becoming increasingly obsessed with the paranormal. Our culture is fascinated, infiltrated with images of ghosts and witches and zombies and demons and psychics, new age, mother earth, mysticism, you name it. Our culture is becoming more spiritual, but not religious. It's not atheism that we're fighting against. It's the supernatural forces that we are fighting against. It's paganism. It's false religion. It's demonic forces. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy? That the Spirit speaketh expressly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In the last days, some people will depart from the faith. They'll depart from the church. They'll give heed to doctrines and teachings of devils. Exactly what's going on. Leaving the church and becoming spiritual and giving heed to paganism. I said a few weeks ago, I'll say it again because I think it's important, that 40% of Christians believe in psychics. 29% of Christians believe in reincarnation while 20% or 26% of Christians believe in astrology. It's amazing to me that I get on Facebook and I see Christians sharing 
their horoscope. If you're doing that, please stop it. You're opening your eye gate, your ear gate to the demonic realm. Stop. It's not something we need to participate in. You say, well, pastor, it's harmless. It's not harmless. Many Christians fight. Many Christians uh, fall for the devices of the devil, folks, because the devil doesn't appear to be harmful. The devil isn't going to come to you with a pitchfork and uh, and a horn. He's going to come to you as a harmless individual. Did you know that in the Bible, the devil is mentioned 227 times in 27 of the New Testament books? 227 times. In other words, it's a subject that we need to talk about. I'm not trying to make the devil bigger this morning. God is bigger. He deserves the praise. He deserves the worship. And there is only one God. But I want you to be aware that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare and you need to be aware of the enemy and his tactics and how to fight against him. The devil is a deceiver. The devil is a deceiver. He's a slander and a deceiver. He's a liar and he's a murderer. Jesus called him the evil one. And I want you to see his main objective is to deceive people. You say, well, pastor, psychics, that's harmless. Reincarnation is harmless. You know, all of the, it's all of this, this is harmless stuff. Well, this is how the devil deceives us because he comes to us as a harmless individual. I want you to look at this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, I want you to look at what God says in Genesis chapter 6, 2, excuse me, Genesis 2, verse 16. And I quote, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any of the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die or certainly die. Do you see what God said? You can eat from any of the tree, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now I want you to see what the devil said. In the same context, next chapter, see what the devil says. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you see how subtle he was? You see how crafty the devil was? Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. What did the scripture say? The Lord commanded, you are free to eat from all the trees. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan is a deceiver. He's very crafty. And he comes to Eve and say to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? That's not what God said. God said you could eat from all the trees except for one tree. Do you see how subtle the deception is? Do you see how subtle and crafty the enemy is? Notice that the devil was very deceitful about the tree. But I want you to see also the woman's response. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Look at it one more time. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Ye must not touch it or eat it. Hold on. Is that what God said? Go back to Genesis chapter 2. 
Verse 16, what did God say? God said this, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the tree in the garden. That's what he said. He said, you can eat from any of the tree. He never one time in chapter two said you couldn't touch the fruit. But here the woman is exaggerating, saying, well, I can't eat from it, nor can I touch it. Let me say this. Exaggeration is the devil's playground. And that is what happens in church. You come to church and the enemy will put a thought there. And what do you do? You leave the church and you exaggerate it. You make it bigger than what it is. And that's not what happened. That's not what the facts are. And that's not what was said. But the enemy will use exaggeration as a playground in your heart, in your mind. And that is why sometimes you've got to get a hold of your mind and bring your mind in line to the word of God and quit exaggerating things that's not true. Did you hear me? So, so the devil is deceitful, but yet the woman was exaggerating. God never said you couldn't touch it. I want you to see another uh, passage where the enemy was subtle about his deception. Look at this, Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 5. Look at this scripture, and I quote, Then the devil, this is the devil speaking of Jesus, the devil took him, Jesus, to a holy city, made him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So hold on. The devil comes to Jesus as Jesus is in prayer and in fasting. And the devil comes to him to tempt him. And the devil quotes scripture. He quotes Psalms 91. But I want you to see how he quotes it. Look at it one more time. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil is quoting scripture. But what does the scripture say? Look at the scripture. Psalm 91 verse 11. Psalm 91 verse 11. This is what the scripture says. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you see it? Go back to Matthew 4. Look at the words of Satan. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands and you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil is quoting scripture. But what does the scripture say? Psalm 91 verse 11. Do you see the difference? For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. The devil left that part out. The devil left the part to guard you in all your ways. He left that part out. My point is, church, do you see how subtle the devil is? Do you see how the devil comes in so subtly, so deceptive, so manipulative, and you think it's true because it sounds like it's true? Notice, he admitted to guard you in all your ways. So what is the devil trying to do? The scripture in Psalm 91 is simply this, that Jesus would be protected as he is obedient to the Father. And when he's obedient to the Father, he will be protected. And the enemy is coming along and saying, just jump off this mountain and the angels will catch you. He left out the part in all of your ways. You see, that is not God's way to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and to make a show of yourself. The enemy omitted the scripture. That's how subtle the devil is. That's how the devil comes in. It sounds true. 
It looks true. It's believable. So it must be true. That is why, for the love of God, with everything that's within me, I encourage you to go to classes on Wednesday night. Get involved. Because just because you've been to church for 30 years doesn't mean you know it all. It doesn't mean you know it. The devil appeared as a tool to deceive Jesus. I want you to say, I want you to notice this. I want you to know that the Bible sometimes can be used as a tool to accomplish evil purposes. That happens so many times. The church has been guilty of that. They've used scripture to to use it for their own manipulative purposes. And the enemy was using the Bible for his own purposes. Do you know that you can find a scripture to justify anything in the Bible? You can find a scripture to justify anything. The problem is is interpretation of Scripture. You know, we take Scripture and say, boy, that, that, that's real good. Oh, that ministered to me. Oh, I love that Scripture. And, and that could be great. But sometimes we got to see what the Scripture actually means in its context. You know, Jeremiah chapter 33, I believe, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. That context of that Scripture really refers to the Babylonian exile. God's plan was for them to be in exile. In captivity for 70 years. He says, but I don't want you to get discouraged. I'm going to give you a hope. There's hope in all of this. I love it when people just put that on Instagram and put a cup of coffee there. I hope you know what you're posting. You're actually saying, Lord, it's okay if I'm in captivity for 70 years. Listen, the Bible is always correct, but your interpretation is not always correct. The way you view the Bible is not always right. That's why it's good that we know the scriptures, that we are taught, that we are firm in the Bible. Because the enemy will come very harmless and come to us and try to twist the scriptures. I want you to notice uh, how sly the devil is. How subtle the devil is in his deception. I want you to notice that the devil doesn't come as a pitchfork and, and, and a horn. He doesn't come with a black cape. The devil will come as a beautiful angel. Remember the description I gave this, this last couple weeks of the enemy in the Old Testament? The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 13, I want you to look at this description of the enemy, of Lucifer. It says this, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone adorned you. That doesn't sound harmful, does it? The devil is a created angel. He was created with beauty. He was created with perfection. He, 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 had, he, had, uh, uh, he had precious stones upon his chest. But yet he fell from grace. He fell because there was an insurrection in heaven. And he took one third of the angels with him. And the Bible says that Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. He was cast out with him and his angels. But I want you to see that at the very beginning of Lucifer's life, he's created, but he was created in beauty. He was created with perfection. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, even the Apostle Paul confirms this. He says this, and no wonder that Satan himself will masquerade as an angel of light. So the devil will come as an angel of light to deceive you. 
Now, I love what this, the last part of this scripture says. Look at it. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Look at verse 15. Is it not surprising then if his servants also masquerades as servants of righteousness? Their end will be their actions deserved. Did you just see that scripture, my friends? Did you just see what that scripture said? That it's very possible that the enemy and his servants and his kingdom appears as servants of righteousness. The devil is not going to come to you with a a black cape. He's going to come to you as a harmless thing. He's going to, oh, a Ouija board is not going to hurt me. It's harmless. Tarot cards is not going to harm me. Somebody reading the palms of my hands, that's not going to harm me. It's just innocent, pastor. Exactly. You're falling right in the trap of the enemy because the enemy wants to appear as harmless. And the Bible says if it's possible that even his followers masquerade as servants of righteousness. You see, we must be on guard, my friends. As believers, as Christians, we must be on guard. God is more powerful than the enemy. But you shouldn't be ignorant concerning Satan's devices as well. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, listen to the words of the Lord. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you see what the Apostle Paul was saying? He's saying you got to be careful because the enemy can outwit you. He can outsmart you. Some of us give the devil way too much credit because we talk too much. The devil can't read your thoughts. He only can speculate what you're going to do by what you say and your previous actions. You, you, he said, should not be unaware of his schemes. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, our text. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may take a stand against the devil's what? Schemes. What is the word schemes? Tricks. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers, against this dark world, against spiritual forces in heavenly places. I want to say this, my friends. Some of the issues that we face in life, it may not be your fault. Some of the things that we do, we have caused it. We are living in the consequences of our own decisions. I get that. But there comes a time in life that you didn't do that, and you are engaged in a spiritual warfare that is unexplained and undeserved. You can't explain it. It's undeserved. You don't know where it came from. And there are times in our life that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And you've got to understand something. Cussing people out and kicking the dog and kicking the cat and getting frustrated and blowing off your temper to somebody is not going to solve the problem. You are engaged in a spiritual warfare and you've got to learn to fight against your spiritual warfare with spiritual means. The devil is after to destroy your marriage. The devil is after to destroy your home. The devil is after to destroy your health. The devil is after to destroy your peace of mind. Somebody needs just to stand up and say, you know what? I'm not taking it from the devil anymore. If I got to get up, I may not know Greek and I may not know Hebrew and I may not know, a th- I may not be a theologian. I may not be very smart in the Bible, but there's something on the inside of me that says I'm not going to take this anymore. If I got to get up and run around my house and throw the Bible 
and hit the devil between the eyes, there's one thing I got to, he ain't staying in my house. Sometimes you got to get mad at the devil and quit walking around, Mr. Devil. Mr. Devil, would you please stop that? Mr. Devil, would you stop? Somebody needs to get fervent in prayer. And we have labored to pray so long that we have forgot to labor in prayer. I'm tired of seeing Christians being hit by the devil. And no matter what you do, you can't fix it because it's a spiritual warfare. You've got to learn to take it by. Know that it's a spiritual warfare. Hallelujah. I remember years ago, I have a one biological brother years ago. I've told this story before, but I think it's applicable for this sermon. For those who've never heard it, I remember years ago, it might have been 15 years ago, I went to bed one night and I had a dream. And in this dream, I saw my biological brother uh, murder somebody in the dream. And uh, in the dream, I, I uh, woke up right out of my sleep and I knelt down by my bed and I couldn't even pray. It was one of those nights that I didn't have English, didn't have words to say. So I remember praying in the spirit and I was saying, you know, when I could speak in English, I was like, Lord, have mercy. Don't let this happen. I knew it was a God dream. Why did I know it was a God dream? Because I remembered the details. It was vivid. It was clear. I understood it. I woke up. I knew it was a God dream. I got on my face. I began to pray. I was like, Lord, don't let this happen. I begin to bind the enemy. And I know for two hours, I was on my face, play, praying to God, binding the demonic forces that was out to destroy that young man and out destroy the person that he would harm. And so it was two days later, after two days after the dream, I got a phone call. And it was my mother. And she says, son, I want you to begin to pray for your brother. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, well, I don't know all the story, but they're after him to lock him up and he's running from the police. I said, what did he do? He says, well, he went into a home, tied up two people, beat them almost to death and took their money and left. And I said, mom, are they dead? She said, I, no, son, they're not. They lived through it. And, and, and I instantly knew that because I did spiritual warfare, and you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? Those people lived and missed the mess because you prayed before it happened and didn't pray in it. And sometimes, sometimes we want to wait till the, it happens and we fall in distress. Oh God, what am I going to do? But I'm telling you, if you will live a life of prayer, the Lord will warn you before things will ever happen. And when the disaster does happen, it's not going to take you off guard because you've already been in the prayer closet. You've already heard from the Lord and you've already fought against the demonic forces of the evil one. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be alert and be sober. For your enemy plow prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Look at this scripture, Ephesians 4:26. Be angry, don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil, or give a foothold to the devil. Don't give him a place. Be careful that you don't give him a place. You know, throughout this series, the first week I said that the devil is real. Everybody shout, the devil is real. The devil is real. Number two, I dealt with the devil is fallen. 
That was last week. How the devil is a created angel and he's fallen. He's real. That was first week. The devil is real. Number two, he's fallen. I dealt with that last week. And today, I'm dealing with the devil is limited. The devil is limited. Everybody shout, the devil is limited. The devil is limited. I want you to hear Pastor Josh this morning. The devil is limited, which means he is powerful, but he is not all-powerful. He is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. How do I know that? Well, several scriptures tell us that he ain't all-powerful. John chapter 14, verse 30. This is Jesus. Jesus said this, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of the world is coming, and he has no hold over me. Ooh, I'm about to shout on that scripture. Is there anybody in the building who wave your hand and say, he has no power over me? Jesus said in John 12, 31, now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be what? Driven out. John chapter 16, verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands to be condemned. In other words, the devil is limited. He is not all-powerful. He is powerful, but he's limited. His kingdom shall come to an end. Number one, the devil is limited in authority. Somebody shout that with me. He's limited. Say it again. He's limited. Look at Job chapter 1 verse 6. He's limited in authority. Look at this scripture. Pay close attention. This is the courtroom of heaven. On the day that the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered, from roaming through, throughout the earth, going back and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one on earth like him. For he is blameless and upright, a man that fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him, around his household and everything that he has? For you've blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, your authority, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. The devil is limited in authority. God said, you can, you can do what you want with Job, but don't kill him. In other words, Satan is limited in his authority. I love this. I'm going to go off script just for a moment. I want you to see this scripture in Job 1. Look at it again. Look at verse number 9. Job 1 verse 9. Does God fear? Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? And you've blessed the work of his hands. I've read that scripture before. And this is the question I want to ask you. How did Job know that there was a hedge around? How did the devil, excuse me, how did the devil know that there was a hedge around Job or a fence? Obviously, it's spiritual. How did the devil know that there was a hedge or protective forces around Job. He only knew that 
because the devil previously tried to get to Job and couldn't get to Job, and that is why the devil knew that there was a hedge around Job's life. My point is this. Sometimes we praise God for everything we see and everything that God has done, but sometimes we need to praise God for the things that tried to get to us that never got to us because a hedge was around about us. It was a hedge roundabout. He's limited in authority. Look at Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. He doesn't have all authority. He had to ask. Number two, he's limited in knowledge. He doesn't know everything. He can't read your thoughts. He only can go by what you say in your previous actions. The devil is a created angel, a fallen angel. He doesn't have all power and all knowledge. That belongs to God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God's destined for our glory before time begin. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord. Satan is limited in the knowledge. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. Did he know he was the Son of God? Satan was trying to figure it out. Because if the rulers would have known what God was doing in Jesus the plan would have been different from the devil. He didn't know. Number three, he's limited in power. What about Daniel chapter 10, verse 13? Look at this scripture. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. This is speaking of spiritual forces. Daniel was in prayer. And and the kingdom of the enemy was resisting him for 21 days. And then the Bible says, Michael, who is Michael? An archangel. One of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. In other words, Michael interceded. Michael came and broke through for Daniel. He helped him because Satan's power is limited. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 15, and I quote, when the servant of the man of God got up, went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In other words, Satan doesn't have all power. There's more for us then they are for the devil. Can I hear an amen? First John chapter 4, verse 4. You dear children are from God and you overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. The devil is limited in his power. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Truly I say to you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound and whatever you loose will be loosed. In other words, the devil doesn't have all power. You have the power to bind, and you have the power to loose. He's not only limited in power, not only is he limited in knowledge and authority, but he's limited in presence. 
The devil cannot be everywhere at one time. Now, I know this is fun and games. And I know sometimes we just say things and we say, boy, the devil's been on my back all week. Well, maybe that's a possibility because Paul said the enemy came. The enemy came and vexed him. It's possible the enemy could do that. But more likely, it's his kingdom. It's demonic forces. It's demons trying to come and oppress you. Satan is the prince and the power of the air. He has a kingdom. He has a kingdom. In Galena, the enemy has a kingdom. The enemy has sent forces in Galena. He has sent demonic forces in Galena and Joplin. And that is why when we come together and we pray and we worship, you may not see anything, but what you don't realize is that when it leaves your lips, it doesn't leave your life. Because it leaves your lips, it's going in the atmosphere and it's making war with the forces of darkness. He's limited in his presence. Look at Job chapter 1 verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? Now look at his response. Satan said, well, roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. In other words, he can't be everywhere at one time. He's roaming back and forth, walking here walking there, seeking whom he may devour. In closing, it's interesting to me, most theologians believe this, not all, but I'm, I'm, I'm privy to believe this because of the scriptures. It's interesting to me that it, Satan is a created angel, am I right? Ezekiel chapter 28, he was perfect, he was beautiful, And then the Bible also says he was adorned with with jewels, stones. Is that correct? Look at it. In Ezekiel chapter number 28, verse number 13, the Bible says that uh, he was, or look at verse number 13, "You, you you, you were the seal of perfection. You were in the garden of God. Do you see this? You were full of wisdom. Every precious stone adored you. And there's about, I don't know, nine stones there. If you count them, one, two, three, nine stones. So he has nine stones. Here is this created angel. He's perfect. He's full of wisdom. He's beautiful. And the Bible says he has at least what? Nine stones on his chest. Adorn him. The Bible says that Your setting and your mountings were made of gold on the day that you were created. It was prepared for you. The Bible also says in Ezekiel chapter number 14, excuse me, chapter 28 verse 14, Ezekiel chapter 28 verse number 13 and 14, it says this, you were the anointed as a guardian cherub, which is an angel. And I have anointed, ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God and you walked among the fiery stones. So this is a description of the enemy. He's perfect. He's an angel. He's full of beauty. He has nine stones on him. He's walking up and down the mountain of God. Most people believe that he led worship or there was some sort of musical component here. I'm not sure if that's right, but maybe that is. But anyway, you see that the enemy is beautiful. 
in times past. You see, he was created in beauty with nine stones. And it's interesting to me that uh, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the high priest, do you remember when the high priest, when God set the Levitical priesthood in order, he made them garments, priestly garments, and they had 12 stones on their chest. And it's interesting, the nine stones that was on Satan is the same nine stones that's on the priest of the Old Testament. The difference is, look at it. I don't have time to read all of it to you, but look at Exodus chapter 28, verse number 6. Exodus chapter number 28, verse 6. The high priest in the Old Testament had 12 stones where you see in the book of Ezekiel, Satan, beautiful in perfection, had nine stones, while in the book of Exodus, the high priest of the Old Testament had 12 stones. And the stones are very similar. You can go down, look at verse number 7. You can go down and you can keep reading. And, and it's given a description of how you are to make this. Blue, purple, scarlet. You're to make this robe. He gives on, keep on going down. And, he, and it's a very long chapter and I don't have time to do it, to read the whole chapter to you. But each stone represented a tribe of the children of Israel. And each of those stones were very similar to the nine stones that Satan had. It could be that what was there, what was here is a prototype of what was there. Because there was a Garden of Eden. Satan walked up and down the Garden, the Eden of God in heaven. There is a Garden on earth where Satan deceived men. In the garden of heaven, Satan walked up and down with his stones. He worshiped God. But in the garden on earth, he deceived humanity. What was here was a prototype of what was there. Could it be that Satan was a high priest who offered worship to God because of the nine stones? Now, why does he have nine stones and the high priest has 12 stones? I'm speculating, inferring on the text that it could be that each of those tribes had a prophecy towards them. Each tribe had a prophecy of what they would do in the future. Satan is missing three stones. I would suggest to you that he is missing these stones. Number one, he's missing Asher. Number two, Issachar and Gad. Why do I believe he's missing the last row on his breastplate? Because these three tribes prophetically represented something that would happen in the future. And it's left off of Satan because Satan could never fulfill it. Look at it. Genesis chapter 49 verse 20. This was a prophecy concerning Asher. Genesis 20, 49 verse 20. 49 verse 20, look at it. Bread from Asher shall be rich. This is a prophecy concerning Asher. And he shall yield royal dainties. I believe that stone was left off of Lucifer because Lucifer was never going to produce a royal seed. Number two, Issachar. The second stone that was left off of his breastplate is Genesis chapter 49 verse 14. Look at it. Genesis chapter 49, verse 14. Look at the words here. Issachar is a strong donkey laying down between two burdens. That stone 
which represented Issachar, was left off of Lucifer's breastplate because God knew that the devil would never be able to carry the burdens of God's people. Number one, he would never produce a royal seed. Number two, he would never carry the burdens of God's people. Number three, Gad. Genesis chapter 49, verse 19. Genesis 49, verse 19. This is the prophecy of Gad. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. I believe that that stone was left off of Lucifer because Lucifer was never going to triumph in the end. He was never going to overcome in the end. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the devil is limited. And when he was created in times past, when Lucifer was perfect and beautiful and walked up and down the garden of God and up on the mountain of God, and he had a breastplate of nine stones, God himself saw the future and he knew that he could not put those three stones on Lucifer because Lucifer was never going to produce a royal seed. He was never going to carry God's burdens of God's people, and he was never going to overcome in the end. Hallelujah. I am saying that Satan is limited. He doesn't know all things. He doesn't see all things. Behold, I give unto you power that you would tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. May God add the blessing to the preaching of the word and the church said, amen. Would you stand to your feet and give God a praise? Give God a glory today. Put your hands together and bless the Lord today. He's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. We got a few minutes before we go home, so nobody leaving. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have been under a spiritual attack. And I need prayer. I need people to believe with me. I don't want to leave this church without praying for you. Would you get out of your seat? Make your way to the front and say, pray for me, preacher. Come in agreement with me today and pray for me. Would you come?